0: not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks, Anne, for for reading that. So, hello again. So today's message is going to be, if you were listening to the scripture being read, today's message is going to be about, uh, about sin and grace. It's about sin. Uh, so, fun topic. And I'll be honest, I'm not super excited about talking about this. We don't like to talk about sin too much. Uh, I wish I could just do this. So, um, when, I was, when I was a young pastor, when I was about 21 or 22, uh, I lived in Indiana, and I used, to, I used to lift weights with an older pastor, a seasoned pastor in our area every now and then. His name was Scott. And somebody came into the gym one day, and uh, he, people knew him. They didn't know me. <laughs> so, he hey, Scott, what are you preaching on Sunday? And he said, sin. Don't do it. You know, I wish I could just, hey, sin, don't do it. Let's go home, right? I wish I could just say that and, and be done with it. If you heard the text that Ann was reading up here, you know that uh, Scripture has a little bit more to say about sin and how to deal with it and what God has to do with it, and uh, obviously we'll talk about grace in a minute. There, there's a little more to it, uh, but I, just this last week I've been I've been thinking about this concept of sin and my own sinfulness. has been a rough week, I'm not going to lie, right, uh, thinking about that. But here, so here's a question that, I'll, that I've been asking myself that I want to just leave leave at your feet I had to think about so what what do you think about sin and what do you think about your own sinfulness would would you consider yourself a a sinner uh, you remember that remember that song by George Thorogood bad to the bone would you consider yourself bu- 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 bad right are, are you evil to the core in some way if if there was some kind of if, if I could show some kind of graph or something I don't have one that would be awkward but if I had some kind of graph where on this side it's man these are just the, the wretched people of the world Here's the bad people, here's the okay people, good people, you know, great people. I don't know, where, where, would, you, where would you fall on that graph? I don't know, what, what do you think? What do you think about your own sinful state or, or unsinful state? Would you say that you're blah, bu- blah, bu- blah, bu- blah, bad or, or not? What would you say? So this last week, I tried to honestly think about that question for myself. Like I know, I know the theological or the biblical answer I should give, but I tried to just chop that out and say, okay, what, what do I really think? Like if I were to really dig deep, and here, here's what I think. If 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 you were to if you were to sit me down inside of one of those those interrogation rooms, and I'm talking like one of the real gnarly ones, like you like you see in those cop shows, like one of those interrogation rooms, you have a light like this, the bright light shining down on me, and uh, and you and you hired some great journalists to get and just get the mic in my face and really push me and put me to the screws, and just what do you really think? Nick, what, what do you really think about sin? If you were to give me laughing gas and I just freely spoke about not what I, what, not what I know is the, the correct answer, so to say, but, but here's what I really think in my heart. I'm, I'm going to try to be honest with you. If you really drilled down and just jammed the mic in my face, what do you really think about your own sinfulness? I came to this conclusion that I think I have two, two assumptions when it comes to the sinfulness of this world and my own sin. And here's, here's the first one. I think one assumption that I have is that there are... There are sinful people in the world. I think if you were to really, really press me and, and, really, and really squeeze me to see what comes out, I think I would say, okay, th- I, I believe there are sinful people in the world. I've watched Dateline. I've seen 60 Minutes. Like you, I watch the evening news and I follow the, oh, what happened to this guy that went to court? Like, I'm, like I, I follow that stuff uh, to some extent. Uh, furthermore, if you were to track my habits, I lock my doors at night. That was the last thing I did last night before bed. Check the back door, check the front door, I lock the door. If I'm out in public, uh, especially with a crowd of people, and I have my kids with me, I'm watching my kids like a hawk, you know, i got to go to the water fountain, okay, and man, I'm, I'm watching them walk, I'm watching them walk back, I'm looking at those around. So I, I, I think deep inside of me, if you were to really push me, what do you really think about the sin of the world? I would say, I believe there are sinful people in the world. The second thing I believe is, I ain't one of them. <laughs> and if you're an English teacher in the room, I apologize. You can take the boy out of the South. You can't take the South out of the boy. I, but, but I think if you gave me laughing gas and I just spoke with my accent or whatever, I, I would say, you know, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. I believe there are sinful people in the world, but I ain't one of them. All right? I, I have an elderly neighbor that I help out every now and then. Uh, I feel like I'm a decent dad. I, I pay my taxes, sales tax at least. Right, So, I, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, a pretty, I'm a pretty decent guy, and I haven't done anything to deserve. Jail time, if, if I were to move in next door to you, you have nothing to worry about. I, I think I'm a decent guy. And if everybody on this planet was like me, I think the world would be a decent place. I'm not saying that's the right answer or the wrong answer. I'm just saying if you were to, if you were to really, really get me in that room and shine the light, what do you really think, and just make me sweat for a few hours, and, th- and then I were to just say, okay, fine, I believe there are sinful people in the world, and I'm not one of them. I'm not a bad person. I, I think that's what would come out if you really squeezed me and really twisted me and really interrogated me. Now, I know that in Scripture, especially if you look at the words of Jesus, he had, he had some, maybe some stronger things to say about sin. Uh, he said that everyone is a sinner and that anyone who hasn't had their heart radically changed by the grace of Jesus, that... That everyone on this planet is deserving of the wrath of God, is deserving of, of hellfire. And, and, and I know some of these things are in Scripture. I know Jesus says some of these things. But if you really were to twist me and, and crank the screws down and interrogate me, I would say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm bad enough to deserve, like, hell. I'm, I'm just, I, there, there are sinful people in the world, and I'm, I'm not one of them. I think if you were to really interrogate me, that's what would really come out. And I wonder how many of you would agree. Like, I know this is the right answer, but I, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm decent. I wonder, I wonder how many of us, if we were just honest, I don't have any laughing gas, but I, if I gave you some, I wonder how many of us, something like, something like this would slip out. So here's what we're going to do today. Here's an outline of the text that Anne read just a minute ago. It's a real simple breakdown, okay? The first few verses is about sin, and then next comes the grace that the sin require, that, that God gives us. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to make my assumption. We're going to kind of make me a guinea pig, okay? I'm going to be a test case. And we're going to look at what, what, what I feel kind of deep down inside of my psyche, what I really think about myself. We're going to see how that contrasts with what the Scripture that Anne read today says, okay? And if you're with me, we're going to poke it at your views, okay, as well, all right? So here we go. You ready to jump in? All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at verse 1. The Scripture says... As for you, and, and just a quick pause here, he's, he's writing this, this is being written to a church body that's located in the city of, of Ephesus in the ancient world, so that's why it's called Ephesians. So it's, it's written to people like us. So somebody stood up in front of the church body and, and they read this letter, okay, and it's obviously been read for thousands of years since then. So he's speaking to church people like us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, Scripture has a lot of different ways, especially the New Testament, to describe sin, all these different metaphors. Uh, like it's, 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 it's sin is when you fall short. It's when you fall short. Sin is when you miss a mark. Sin is when you stray from the path. There's, there's all these different metaphors in Scripture. I wrote down a few. It's, it's compared to blindness. It's compared to deafness. It's compared to overste- you, you overstepped a line, right? So that's, these are different metaphors used for sin. I would say this is probably the strongest metaphor for sin. The strongest strongest way of describing sin, the strongest picture of sin, is that he says, you were dead in your sins. Now, a lot of people would take offense to that. And maybe you take offense to that. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're watching a recording of this later, and and you take offense to that. Dead in sins? Because a lot of people have a very different perspective, right? This isn't what everybody believes about sin and the sinfulness of the world. There's many people who would say... Uh, no, no, no. No, uh, every, every human person is, is really naturally good on the inside. There's, there's goodness inside of them, even the worst of them. There's a, there's a nugget of goodness inside of there. And if we were to cultivate that goodness, for instance, if we had better education, moral education, or, or memorizing Proverbs, or the sayings of so-and-so, or, or if more people took ethics classes, then the good would be fostered, and, 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 and it would grow out of the person, right? We're all naturally good, and, and what we need is religious training, right? We could read Scripture, various different Scriptures, study the life and the teachings of Jesus, practice different spiritual uh, uh, disciplines and things like that, if if we could only get good people in government and have good programs and uh, better laws and better justice and foster better cities and better neighborhoods, then the good that is inside of mankind will come out. We're all naturally good. This text actually has something very different to say. It says the opposite. It says there's no good. In fact, every one of us at one time at least was dead. I mean, that's kind of a you might take offense to that right that's kind of a strong statement to say there's no good in mankind to be cultivated dead in sins and later on in this text he he describes a little bit more what that means here's here's what he says later in the letter in ephesians chapter 4 those who have not been saved he says they are darkened in their understanding and separated separated from the life of god and that's what death means. It means that you're unable to communicate with the living. You're no longer a part, so to say, with the land of the living. So to be spiritually dead, this is talking about our spiritual state, not our physical state. You are spiritually dead. You, you, you are alienated. You are separated from the life of God, right? So when I was a teenager, I went to my grandma's house one summer, and I was doing some work on her house. I was, I was, she had hired a contractor, and I was helping to paint the outside of the house. And my grandma said, hey, Nick, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to lay down and take a nap. Uh, come get me up if I'm not up in a few hours. So I said okay. So I was outside. I was I was painting the house, and about, about three hours or so went by, maybe three and a half hours. And I, you know, my grandma, she was a German woman. I actually called her Oma, but so that we understand, I say grandma. Uh, she she was a tough German woman. Like she never took naps. So I thought, man, it's been like three hours. I better go check on her. And so I, I walked up the stairs and I approached her room and just, grandma, grandma. Knocked a couple times. There's no answer. So I cracked the door open and I kind of poked my head and I looked around. Uh, this, her dresser was here. I looked around the side of her dresser and I could, I could see her body laying on the bed. She was, you know, she was asleep. She wasn't moving. So I walk over to her. Kind of touched her shoulder. Kind of shook a little bit. Grandma. 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 And I tried to wait and she was, she was completely unresponsive. And what, what had happened was she had passed away. She had had a heart attack and passed away. And to say that when, when, I, when we speak of being dead, what we mean is she was unable to hear me, unable to see me, unable to communicate with me, unable to respond to me. And so when we speak about spiritual death, we mean that we are unable, we are separated from the life of God. We are unable to respond to God. We are unable to please God. We are unable to, to work out our own righteousness or become righteous in God's eyes. We, we are unresponsive. We are unable. We are We are dead. I mean, this is, a, this is a strong statement to say we are dead in sins, unable to respond to God. And so the text continues, back to verse 1. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins. Man, that's a strong thing to say. In which you used to live as you followed the ways of the world. Notice that like three things he mentions here. The ways of the world. Also, the ruler of the kingdom of air. He's uh, speaking of Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And then thirdly, he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. This kind of this unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Maybe you've heard that kind of trilogy, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And notice in this text, it doesn't say that, man, you, you all have a lot fighting against you, right? There's the influences of the world. You know, Satan's out there, and, and, and the devil's trying to make you do it. And, and you have, you're trying to battle against your flesh. You know, he's, he's saying there's no battle. You guys just do it. Right, You guys are just, the world is just helping you accomplish what is in your flesh. You are just wholeheartedly, willingly following the desires of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I, again, you might take offense, you might disagree with this, but this, the text is saying this about our sinfulness. That we are dead in sins, unable to resist these, this unholy trinity, this unholy trilogy in the text. And then the last part of verse 3 says this. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That word wrath, we don't, we don't use the word wrath a whole lot. We might say anger or something like that nowadays. But, but this wrath, it's speaking of the wrath of God. And, and real specifically, it's, it's the judgment of sin. God cannot tolerate sin, so we cannot tolerate humans that are stuck in their sinful state. We cannot be, God cannot be in relationship with sinners. And that is why sinners cannot be admitted into heaven. So that's, that's the wrath that he's talking about. And then he, he goes on to say that we are by nature... Once again, according to, I'm not sure, you might not agree with this, but, but according to this text, he's saying that there's no goodness inside of us that needs to be fostered by better government or better programs or better ethics or better teaching or, or you need a life coach. Or, no, he's not saying that. He's saying that within us, we are dead in sins and by nature, we aren't good people who are misguided and we need some kind of cool coach. We aren't good people who are uneducated and we just need a teacher. We aren't sick, good people who are sick, and we need medicine or some kind of therapy. He's saying, by nature, we are dead in sins. So with that said, let me just transition to, uh, if you pick up any kind of theology book, there's, there's kind of two teachings on sin that you're going to see poke out, and, and they really come from this text. They really drive from this text. The first, the first theological term I want to teach you is original sin. Okay? This is the belief that humankind is born with a sinful nature. And you get this from the text when he says you were by nature sinful. Uh, any, any parent will tell you this. <clears throat> when, when you have a child, you have to teach it to, to tie its shoes and to put its dish in the dishwasher and to say please and thank you, right? You have to teach a kid all this. There's one thing you don't have to ever teach any kid to do, and that's to sin. Boy, this comes from somewhere, right? I mean, naturally, a two-year-old is going to, you know, steal its sister's sippy cup and... A two-year-old is going to very naturally like scratch his mom in the face because you gave me the blue plate, not the green plate. What is wrong with you, woman? I mean, a, a it's, it's naturally going to come out. It's going to scream because I want one more episode of Bluey. There's, there's, there's something inside and nobody, nobody has to teach a child this. And by the way, us adults, we do the same thing. We just like do it in a masquerading way, right? We just, we just do it like suddenly with our passive-aggressive nonsense, right? Uh, or we justify ourselves. But, but, of it's like there's something inside of us that I, I didn't put that there. Where did that come from? Right? It's just, it's, we're born with it. So this is this theological term, original sin, that, that humankind is born, it, born, even as a baby, chubby little legs, sinner. That's what the text, <laughs> sorry, that's what the text says, okay? Here's a, here's a second term, It's total depravity. And a good definition of total depravity is that sin has affected every dimension of humankind. In other words, that, that humankind, so you and me, we are bent, we, we are bent towards sin. Now, this does not mean that humans like you and I can never do anything good. That's not what it's saying. It's not, this, this term does not mean that humans can never act in a moral way. Total depravity, properly defined, is that sin has affected every dimension of humankind and that we are bent towards sin. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, let me give you two examples. So one is uh, a couple of months ago, i think it was like february or march I, I got into my car and i learned very quickly that i had a flat tire because i was trying to drive the thing <laughs> right and it kept pulling and so what i did was i immediately thought of the first tire shop i could think of that's somewhat close by which is goodyear in Hummelstown. so i, I began to, to drive to goodyear and so i got in my car and i was i had to hold that steering wheel hard because it was the front right tire i had to still hold that steering wheel hard because it kept trying to it kept trying to pull to the right it was pulling hard. And I tell you, if I had let go of that wheel for just a second, we would have been in the ditch. It was, it, was, it was pulling me towards the ditch. I had to manually hold that wheel and even kind of curve it to the left just a little bit just to keep it from ending up in the ditch. I had to hold it. Total depravity means that all of us upon birth are, are bent towards sin. All right? And we like to talk about free will. Martin, you, You've heard of Martin Luther. He had this famous text where he said, yes, mankind has free will, free to do all kinds of sin, right? We, 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 are, we are bent. We, we, we're, if, if God were to divinely let go of the wheel, we're going to end up in the ditch. Like, that's what total depravity means. I'll give you another example. This is kind of a story example. So in Scripture, there's this story, and it's, it's a famous story. You may have heard of it, of Noah and the ark, Right? And so what happens is uh, God is, is telling Noah that one day there is a, a rain that's going to come, it's going to flood the known world, and, and he's to build this ark. So he builds this giant boat. He invites others to come on the boat with him because, you know, the judgment's coming, it's, it's going to flood, and, and, and nobody wants to get on the boat, right? They wanna do, they don't want, nobody wants to get on the boat. So Noah and his family get on the boat, they close, they close the ark, the rains come, and it floods the entire known world, and, and everyone in the known world passes away, all right? Theologically speaking, all the sinners of the world died. And what God has done is he has chosen the most righteous person on the planet. The most righteous family. The most righteous, upright, moral, ethical, whatever, family on the planet. He has pulled them aside and saved them. And he starts over humanity. And it doesn't take long to get right back to the way it was. All right? This, This is the doctrine of total depravity. If the world were to start over and you were to repopulate humanity according to total depravity, it wouldn't take long to be just like it is now because there's something in us that is bent towards sin. It's it's affected everybody. It's from our birth. We are bent towards sin. And God's the only one who can hold that steering wheel because we are spiritually dead, unable to respond to the righteousness that he has called us to. Okay? I'm going to take a timeout because it's like heavy. I can feel it's heavy in here. I could, I could take a butter, and, uh, or a butter knife and or, just cut the tension, right? I'm just going to take a timeout here because some of you may not be buying what I'm saying. I mean, sinful from birth, totally depraved. I don't. And, and maybe you'll go back to what I said in the beginning. Hey, hey I believe there are sinful people out there, okay? I've, I've watched the evening news. I have followed the scandals. I've met some of them. There are some sinful people in the world. But you know what? I ain't one of them. I'm not one of them. I always scoop up my dog's poop when I walk in the neighborhood. I always finish the crust of my pizza. I don't waste food like that, right? I, I've, I, I make it a point to make it out on voting day like I'm a decent person. There's sinners in the world, and I'm just not one of them. Okay, maybe, maybe you would say that. And this text is saying that we're sinful from birth, that we're totally depraved, that we deserve the wrath of God, that we deserve to go to hell. I mean, I just, I, no, I don't believe that. When I first learned about total depravity, I remember where I was. When I first learned about total depravity, I didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. thought, that's an interesting theory. Pretty pessimistic one, too. <laughs> I just, I don't know. And here's, here's what convinced me. I ended up reading this book. I can't pronounce his first name, but last name Borowski. Um, this Way for the Gas, ladies and gentlemen. And it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a gruesome book, so I'm going to go real I know we have some some young people in the audience so I won't I won't go deep into the story but this is what convinced me so Borowski was a Polish man who was captured by the Nazis before the second world war he was forced into slave labor eventually sent to Auschwitz one of the concentration camps in the Nazi regime and he later spent some time working in a Nazi medical experimental hospital where he saw some pretty graphic things and in this disturb, it's more of a short story, so you can, you can read it pretty quickly. It's, it's not necessarily a big book. It's a short story where he kind of goes over narratives of that, uh, f- uh, f- uh, fictional narratives based on the reality that he saw. But he paints the evils of the Holocaust from different perspectives. So, it, there, there's, for instance, there's one scene where there's a free citizen who has now been assigned the task of helping the Jewish victims off of the trains and into the gas chamber. And, and, and at first, for his first day, he's just... He's sick to his stomach because he knows what he's doing. And he he even vomits a couple times. He can't hold it together. But then over the course of time, the sickness kind of goes away. And it's just, you know, just going to work. Just kind of gets used to it. Uh, There's another scene where there's these two soldiers talking with each other, between trains coming, and one says, you know, it's really awkward when I see somebody that I that I recognize, because before before Hitler took office, you know, he had known a few Jews, and he says, man, it's really awkward when I meet somebody you know, and I don't ever know what to say, so he, here's, here's what I do. I just say, oh, hey, just leave your luggage in there. Uh, they're going to take you over to this room and, and give you baths and, and freshen you up, and then you can come back to your luggage. So just leave your luggage there and enjoy your bath and enjoy your time, because he, does, he doesn't I mean, how can I tell them what's about to happen? And so they just kind of shrug it off, like, this is, this is how you deal with that. If you see somebody you know, here's how you do that. These are, just, these are just average people, right, that have just responded this way to the horrific things that happened in the Holocaust. There's another story, and I'll go real brief on this one because this one's, uh, this one's pretty sad. But there's this Jewish mother who, who runs off the train and there's a little girl trailing behind her, Mama, Mama! And she, she knows that if, if the soldiers know it's her daughter, there's no where she'll, she'll live. But, but, but if the soldiers think that she's, she's single, that she doesn't have kids, that this, that's not my child, maybe she'll be able to live. So she, anyway, she, she tries to pretend like the daughter's not hers. What gripped me is that this story pointed out to me, and I never thought about it before, but Hitler wasn't the only evil one there. And it points out the depravity of the Nazi officials, the depravity of the German soldiers, the depravity of some of the free citizens who just shrugged their shoulders, the depravity of the Polish POWs, the depravity of even some of the Jewish victims. And and that's when it just kind of slapped me upside the face, and and I set the book down, and I thought, if I was there, I like to think that I would fight against it and refuse, but I would probably be saying these words, this way for the gas, ladies and gentlemen, because there's something in me that is bent towards sin and self-survival and self-preservation. There's something inside of me. something inside of all those people that allowed something like this to happen. And if we're honest, most of us would agree that I would probably go along with that too, because this is human nature. This is human nature. That, that book is what convinced me that depravity is true. Let me, let me give you another example here, okay? I... I picked up a rock on the way over here. Another thing that makes total depravity hard to accept is that I have a tendency, maybe you have the same tendency, I have a tendency to measure my own morality based on, like, you people, right? So, so I know some really bad people, and I know normal people like you and me, and we're kind of alike, and they're bad, so I'm this way on the scale, right? Remember that scale? I'm this way on the scale, because everyone I know is like me, and so I tend to compare myself with that. So I have a rock here. Let's say, let's say that the standard was... I need to get this rock to the North Pole, all right? And so every good deed that I do just inches it. Every, every ethical decision I do just inches it. Every, every moral choice, I mean, just, it's, it's inching along. And So I were to, if I were to warm up my arm, all right, to the North Pole, here we go. And I lob it. Now, you and I know I'm not going to make it to the North Pole. I'm not going to make it past the border of Pennsylvania. I'm not going to get it out of Derry Township. I mean, let's be real. But hey, hey, I got it further than her, but hey, look. Compared to the standard of God's righteousness, the way the Scripture describes our sin and our depravity, this thing's not even going a few inches. And so that's the picture that Scripture paints of our sinfulness. My two assumptions. There are sinful people in the world, and I ain't one of them. Well, the Scripture has a different thing to say about my sinfulness. That compared to God's righteousness, not compared to the people on Dateline, but compared to God's righteousness, I am totally depraved and born with original sin. We're going to move on to a happier part of the message, okay? We're going to get on to, that, that was sin. Now we're going to talk about grace. So let's, let's jump in with me and look at verse number four, and we're going to look at the other side of this. So the writer continues. He says, but, kind of like that last song we just sang, but God, right? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, so we were dead in sins. He made us alive with Christ, when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Grace, what is grace? It's like undeserved favor, right? If, if you're a student, maybe you experience this even your senior year. You turn in an assignment, it's two days late, and the teacher gives you a grace period. Oh, I did not deserve to get a grade on this but there was a grace period you sign up for a magazine subscription of some sort and you sign up for six months and the subscriber gives you seven months or you get grace issues right you you go to a friend's house and they feed you and entertain you and you say they were gracious because you didn't earn the entertainment or the food right it's grace it's like undeserved favor well there's two kinds of grace that we can receive from god the first here's there's two definitions for you one is common grace common grace is god's favor to all people It's God's favor to all people. So it's only by grace that I'm not as sinful as I could be. It's by God's grace. He's holding that wheel, man. (laughs) Every single one of us, every person on this planet, God's holding that wheel. Maybe you only hit part of the ditch, right, that we're not as sinful as we can be. He's given all of us endorphins that make us a little giddy when we hand a child a present. He, He gives us societies to live in with laws and boundaries. He makes this world enjoyable to live in, right? He's he's given us common grace, uh, grace to even be aware of my sin. He's given us a conscience inside of us that makes us feel dirty when we disobey his laws. He's given us nature so we can sense that there has to be a higher power out there that I'm accountable, right? He convicts us of our sin. God has given common grace to all people. There's another kind of grace that only comes to those who are believers, who are Christians. This is special grace. This is God's favor to believers, and this is what the grace he gives the moment that a, that a person becomes a Christian and accepts the grace of Jesus, where sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, where he begins to change our human nature into the nature of Jesus Christ. This is when he declares us righteous because Jesus has died on our behalf. This is special grace. And it's only by this grace that God even cares to save me. It reminds me of when I was, uh, when I was younger, 10 or 11. I got this little hamster. of you have a hamster at home. Or a guinea pig, some kind of rat-like animal. Okay, we have a rat-like animal here. So, no, not you, but you own a rat-like animal. That's what I meant to say. Okay, so I had a hamster, and it was a mean little thing. (laughs) It it couldn't have been more than I don't know how many ounces. I don't know what an ounce weighs, but it was ounces. I don't know. It was was tiny, tiny little furball, and it was a mean little Siberian. It was a Siberian hamster. I should have known when I bought a Siberian hamster that this was going to be like evil. And so I took it home, and the thing bit me a couple times. I tried to play. It drew blood, and I was I was like after like three bites. I'm done. And believe the pet store won't take them back. Isn't that messed up? <laughs> you give me this evil hamster and you won't take the thing back. And so I decided I would give it away. There was, there was this, uh, there was, I had a friend down the street named Ryan, and we used to hang out and play together, and he had this annoying little sister. And so I decided, hey, I have a, I want, I'd like to give you my hamster. I can't take care of it. I don't know what I said, but I, and I'll never forget the smile on her face when her little pigtail self came up to my door and, took, and took, the, took the hamster thing and was skipping away and I just smiled. I'm done with that evil little beast, right? You know, when I compare the depravity of that hamster to myself, don't you think it pales in comparison to God's holiness and who I am? But by His special grace, I don't know why, but He still wanted to save me. I mean, it's, it is by God's grace only that we are able to be saved. So let me just point out once again that depravity does not mean that you are worthless. In fact, you are so valuable that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. So depravity doesn't mean you're worthless, you're valuable. What it means is that you cannot earn your place in heaven. You cannot earn your own righteousness because you're dead in sins. And it means that my assumptions, if I believe this book, are just not true. That there are sinful people in the world and I am one of them. No, I... I am one of them. Okay, so let's, let's talk turkey. We've, we've been, okay, The doctrine of sin, the doctrine of grace. This has been real heady. So, so let's just talk turkey. What are we going to do with this? Here's, here's a couple things. Uh, first off, uh, some of you listening, maybe you're listening online. Maybe somebody shared this clip with you and so you're watching after the fact. Maybe you're in the room and, and you would say, I, you are not a Christian. Okay, I don't, I don't buy what this Bible says, what this text says. I'm glad that I learned a little bit more about what the Christian faith, and I think they're crazy when it comes to this. I just, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe this. So let me, let me just ask you a couple questions for you to leave with. What do you believe about sin? What do you believe about your own sin? And, and let me point this, if, if you were Noah and there was some kind of, let me make a modern example. Let's say a virus came, right? Some kind of pandemic came, and the world's population was, we're going to hope that doesn't happen, and the world's population was wiped out except you. What, what do you think would happen? Would we get back to this place or would we be a better world? But what do you think about your own sinfulness? And if, if, even if you don't believe the Bible, if you believe there's an afterlife for humanity, what, what do you think happens with that sin? And, and by the way, if you're not a Christian, uh, I've, I've, I've said this before and I'm, I'm always humbled. Sometimes people tell me, hey, I'm not a Christian, but somebody sent me your link to watch this or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm always honored when a non-Christian Spends like 25 minutes listening to me ramble on about Bible stuff. So, so if, if that's you, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to return the favor and hear you speak for 20, 25 minutes about what you believe. I, I would genuinely like to. So please reach out to me. Uh, secondly, there's, I, there, there may be some of you in the audience or some of you watching online, some of you listening to the podcast of this later, that you're, you're, you're a Christian. You would say that you're a Christian, but you're not like all in, Right? Uh, I mean, you, you attend church. Maybe this is your first time at church in a long time, right? You attend church maybe once a month, once every couple of months or whatever. If, if I were to give you a survey, you know, be right, get these surveys every now and then the census, it's been a little while since the census came out, but, but there's those boxes, you know, what most correctly defines your religious preference, and you know, you check the Christian box because that seems to work. Now, now, am I like sold out? Am I like following Jesus? Am I pursuing a relationship with him? Has my heart been changed? Am I like, am I thinking about uh, Christianity and, and, and the gospel all the time? Like, no, not really, but, but if I had to check a box, I would check that one. I come to church, you know, once a quarter, once every six weeks or so like that. Like, that's, I believe it, but it's not a belief that's, like, changed my actions, right? It's, it's a belief that I have up here. Like, I believe Jesus and whatever, but, but it's not a belief that's, like, changed my desires. I don't really think about this very often. Uh, I, and, and I say that because that was me at one point, right? That was me at one point. I attended this church, and people around me thought I was a Christian. Some preacher got up, and he was talking about sin and grace and heaven and hell, and, and, and that was me. I knew that, like, I believed it. I guess, yeah, I guess this really happened, and Jesus really resurrected or whatever, but has it changed my heart? Like, I don't, I'm not, like, following him. I'm, like, like all in. That, that was me. And so let me, let, me just, let me just speak to you for a second, if that's you. You're a Christian, but you're not, like, all in. If, if you have a belief in Jesus that's affected maybe your mind, like, sure, I, I believe that could have happened, and sure, the, mostly, the book's mostly right. But it hasn't affected your, your, your actions and your attitudes and your heart. Let's just, and I, I, this is above my pay grade to decide this, but just for your own benefit, just consider, just call a spade a spade, right? Just, just say it like it is. If, if there's a belief you have that has affected your mind but not your actions, it's probably not real belief, right? Just, just, just for your own sake, just call it like it is it's probably not genuine faith and if that's you here's what i want to challenge you to do man that night i don't know It was like something was hammering on my heart my my i don't maybe it was my blood pressure maybe the holy spirit was like grabbing me i don't know but i just man i gotta make this i know everybody thinks i'm a christian i got baptized three years ago but i just i just this isn't real and and so i I, later on I, i went up to a family member and we talked and uh and and i i told jesus all right I'm in, right? And, and I asked him to forgive me my sins, and that's when I believe I genuinely became a Christian. If that's you, I want to challenge you today. Hey, today's a great day to become a Christian. Today is a great day to do that. And so at the end of the service, we're going to have prayer team members up here. I'll be up here. Um, so we, we would love for you to come, and we'll explain the gospel. You don't have to commit, but if, if that's you, let's just, just make it official. Let's just become Christians today, if that's you. Uh, lastly, let me, let me speak to those of you who are genuine believers, all right? Uh, And and again, it's above my pay grade to decide who's in and out. I'm not saying I can but But there's some of you, many of you in this room that are like, no, I understand my depravity. I understand my bent towards sin. I was headed for the ditch and Jesus grabbed the wheel, right? Let's go to church. I mean, some of you are like, yes, I'm a sinner. God's grace has saved me. Yes, like you're there. You're following Jesus as wholeheartedly as you can. So what's what's the application for you? Here's here's the application. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then to make sure you get the point, it's like he just kind of rubs it in a little bit, right? It's only by grace. It's not from yourself. It was a gift from God. It was free. Oh, by the way, it was not by works. Like he's really letting you know, you didn't do this. It's by grace you've been saved. And then he says, so none of us can boast. It's not of works, so none of us can boast. That's not a word that we use very often either. Kind of like wrath. That's not a word we use very often. Uh, how many of you are 30 or under? You're age 30 or under? Okay. He's talking about flexing, right? He's saying no one can, can flex in their own righteousness. No man, can, no, no man or woman can, can brag. Was that accurate? Is that a good? Okay. So the graduating seniors, like, yeah, that makes sense now. We can't flex. Okay. We cannot flex. We cannot brag about our own righteousness. Instead... Here's how believers are called to brag. So it's the same one who wrote this text in Ephesians, wrote this, 2 Corinthians 12. He writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so I can actually brag about Christ. He goes on in Galatians 6. May I never boast or brag or flex except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he is saying... And this is like an apostle who, like, wrote stuff in our Bible. He was saying, if you were to do that lineup thing where you line up all the sinners of the world, and here's, here's the most righteous people, the Noahs of the world, and here's the most unrighteous people, I fall somewhere over here. Okay? And one of these days, I want to show you the cold, dark pit that Jesus had to crawl through to get me out of. Like, that's how, that's how Paul, the one who wrote this, boasted about himself. He boasted about God's grace that was able to save even him he would say before i began following jesus i was as lost as a ball in high weeds i was i was lower than a snake's belly in a ragged w- rut right i was i was had more sin than you could shake a stick at i didn't have enough good works to saddle a june bug like i was as sinful as they come that's how he would describe it and believers who understand have a deep understanding of the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of grace they do unbelievable things they forgive people 490 times Because they know they've been forgiven way more than 490 cents. When they're persecuted, they pray for their persecutors. They love their enemies. When they're slapped in the face, they turn and say, you missed a spot, right? People who understand sin and grace, they they act in a way that is, it's unbelievable. And I just, let me, y'all, y'all, what if, what do you think would happen if the people of Hershey Free Church grasped a deep understanding of the doctrine of sin and grace? I don't think Derry Township would know what to do with us. Like what? You're like turning our city upside down. What is what is with you people? Why why do you give the way you do? Why do you serve the way you do? Why do you love why do you act this way? And that's when we can say, "Oh, you haven't hurt." Come here. I got to show you the cold dark pit that Jesus had to army crawl through just to pull my sorry self out of. Let me let me show you the pit. It's still there. Right? That's the kind of bragging that Christians do when they really understand sin. And grace we're never christians like that they're not accused of legalism or holier than thou or a bible thumper they don't do that (laughs) they only brag in how lost and depraved they were before jesus crawled through the muddy pit and dragged them out and began to change them and that could happen with us in conclusion i've changed my two assumptions about sin after studying this text so there's sinful people in the world and i ain't one of them after studying this, I think I have to say, I'm totally depraved, sinful from birth, but I'm saved by grace. And so what, what do you think about your sin? If you're not sure you're a believer, I'd love for you to come forward uh, in just 60 seconds or so when I wrap up. And today's a good day to become a Christian. Today's a good day to have your sin taken care of. I know from experience, if you put it off one week, it's really easy to put it off two weeks, and then eventually two years, and then two decades. If you're a Christian, start by asking yourself, do I have a tendency to flex about my goodness, about my own righteousness? And then shift that around and begin to flex and brag about the grace of God in your life. Let me pray for all of you. Father, I want to I thank you for, for just your revelation of your word that shows us our depravity and our sinfulness. It's just, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. This text doesn't sugarcoat anything. You just tell us like it is, and you remind us of the grace. I thank you for the, the grace of Jesus. I thank you for the grace of of uh, offering forgiveness of sin and taking our sin upon you on the cross and then offering salvation freely to any who would believe and choose to follow Jesus. I pray for those who are watching online, for those in the audience. If anybody is not a Christian, if they're wondering, if their heart is pounding right now, if their blood pressure's up, if they're beginning to sweat, I pray that they would say, "Let's, let's get this taken care of, and that they would become Christians today and wholeheartedly accept the grace that you've offered in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for, the, for others who are Christians, that, that they would say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at myself differently and not see myself as worthless or depraved, but, but see myself as someone who has been saved dramatically by God's grace and begin to live out those values in the world around us. We pray this to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you all for your kind attention. Like I said, if you're on the prayer team, would you please go ahead and even before the service ends, go ahead and, and come up front uh, up front here. And if you would like to pray, if you'd like to hear more about grace and the gospel, uh, any of them or myself would love to talk with you. Besides that, the rest of you, I want to remind you, you are not being dismissed, but you are being sent. You were sent to dive in and really excavate the doctrines of sin and grace. If you're a Christian, you are being sent to boast about God's grace in your life and not your own goodness. And if you're not a Christian, you are invited to come right now and to become a Christian like the rest of us. You are not dismissed, you are sent. Thank you.